Michael Goldstein. How's it going? I'm doing great, Jimmy. Good to see you. Can't believe it's uh, so close to the holidays right now. Time flies this year. It's been a crazy year. I'm uh, excited to have you on. I'm excited to hear your story, man. I've known you, you know, for, for gotten to know you a lot better this year in particular. Definitely. Love working with your MSP, you know, Land Infotech, and I want to learn how it all started. <laughs> nah, nah, you know, it, it's kind of interesting, you know. So I'm definitely an old timer. So I've been around <laughs> for a while. So I will say that, you know, when I started going to college, And, you know, everyone tries to force you to go to major. And it was a while ago. So I'll sit there and say, listen, I graduated high school in 1979. So those years. So in high school, I was a good math student. And we had this computer that we got granted in New York City. So back then, it was like it took up like a whole, you know, a quarter of a floor. It was gigantic. And we had key punch. So they took the math guys together. And we came up with this idea that we would do a semester project. So we wrote code to go out there and take everybody's telephone number in the school. Now, you know, no privacy laws back then. So they're like, hey, here's everyone's telephone number. We didn't have all their names. And we had to key punch them into a computer. And our goal was to figure out if your telephone number in any permutation had a disgusting, dirty word. We told them (laughs) that we were going to come up with a funny phrase. So this is a funny story. So we we have reams and reams of paper. And, you know, it's right before graduation. They wanted to talk about their new computer system. So I'm up on the stage with uh, I'm up on the stage with some of the people that were out there. It was my job to present. So we go out there and we had an envelope that had, you know, the word. And well, we had the telephone number and the word. And then the principal was up there and he had an envelope and he knew who the person was. So lo and behold, you know, we go through reams of paper. We read out the telephone number and we didn't know it, but it was the principal's telephone number. And his telephone number spelt some word that we couldn't say in front of a 3000 person auditorium. But we said it. Everyone is hysterical. You know, that was the use of the computer. Needless to say, you know, all of our parents were in school the next day. Uh, But. They didn't give us any real definition of what to done, but we said this would be kind of cool. <laughs> Lo and behold, you know, introduced the computers. And uh, it was just a funny kind of thing. That's a great first coding project. I think that we should use that more. We might uh, get more engaged students versus like the Hello World or the Snake Game yep. or something like the sorting algorithm. Let's do the dirty word I telephone mean, number one. <laughs> And I'll tell you that, you know, in that day, you know, we didn't have screens. It was printed out on green and white paper. You know, you needed like hand trucks to bring in the paper. We had to sort through it. It was just a reason, you know, to be high school juniors to get together to drink and, you know, sift through this. Like, oh, I found one. Oh, I found a better one. Oh, I found a better one. You know, so that was my introduction to computers. You know, and in college, you know, it was funny that in my sophomore year, I failed a programming class. You know, when I went to I had to take, I took six semesters of calculus. And at one point, you know, you go back to your advisor and you're like, what am I taking all this stuff? And they're like, you know, this computer stuff is so new, we had to throw everything in. So in one year, I was taking a Pascal programming class. So if anyone listening and remembers Pascal, and 50% of my grade was the final. And I had, you know, this teacher and she just didn't like a lot of the students. So they give you the final. All you had to do is, here's the, here's it. You had to come up with your solution. And you had to run it through the computer, make sure it passed. Well, lo and behold, after that summer, you know, I get in a, in a physical mail message, remember, no email, that you got an F in this class. I was like, oh, my God, I've never, I wasn't a great student, but I've never failed anything. And I was really upset. I went back to the school in the summer and I petitioned it. And, you know, in the end, I was like, hey, 
I got from start to finish. You didn't tell us how. You just didn't like it. So they moved me up to a C. And after that, I just kind of dropped my computer major. When I came out of school, tough job market. I remember my first job was working for New York Life Insurance. And I was a mainframe programmer. So we would code the stuff. I was in the group actuarial division. And this is in New York City? In New York City. Loved working for New York Life Insurance. It was like a great experience for me. But, you know, here I am. You're in a in this giant room that probably could sit a hundred people, and you have government style desks. They're like disgusting green. They're all metal, and there's only like seven of us. And then the team comes in. They said, "Listen, we heard that you know when we hire computer people, we don't need all the clerks to do this." So we're like, you know, young guys all working, you know, programming. And someone came back, and you know what I would do is that when you went for life insurance in like the mid '80s in like a New York life insurance office, someone would go into the back. They had an old school keyboard that looked like a typewriter and there were little cassettes that they would put in. And every month we'd have to update the rate table, ship out the cassettes, no FedEx either through mail. And that's how they did this. So, you know, they brought to us an IBM PC, you know, this is, you know, 84. And they're like, we have this thing called Lotus and we think that we could do some screen stuff. So we learned writing Lotus. We were, we shipped this out and, you know, we found that we could write these processes and it was just really kind of cool. So, you know, everybody gets these kind of offers that go out there. I'm there two years, you know, making entry level money. We think that we're worth mm-hmm. 10 times that. A recruiter brings me in and brings me in to, uh, I went to work for CBS Financial. And back then, CBS still owned, you know, Sony Pictures. They had all these conglomerates. And I worked in the division that the second Tuesday of every month, it was called Flash Tuesday. All the data from all the divisions would come to our division, and we then would have to process all the mainframe reports and all these different pieces to get the financials out monthly. And I had started, my wife worked in an advertising agency, and you know, at night I'd go and help her out there, and they had computers, and I started learning DBase 3, mm-hmm. and I would actually photocopy the manuals, take the software home on my machine, and I'd learn it. And I went back to my bosses, and I said, listen, you know, I could do these things in this thing called DBase much faster than the mainframe, and they loved it. We started doing all of all of this work, and you know, we were just you know writing code, doing things, and the mainframe guys were just you know super pissed because they had millions and millions of dollars of you know data and all these kind of things, and you know, I just couldn't take it anymore, and you know, it was just a lot of pressure. And it was one of these corporate things. So anybody that knows New York City, I was working right on 52nd and 6th. CBS decided to build a brand new data center in New Jersey in some place called Secaucus. Now, in the 80s, they take us on a bus trip and all you see is swamp. And we're like, really? You're going to build a data center there? And, you know, you're not paying us a ton of money to drive there. So anybody that's listening, you know, if you think about I lived in Queens to drive to Secaucus every day. So I went out and I, I worked. It was was crazy. And then, you know, here we are standing on the edge of the swamp, and they're saying, "Yeah, in a year we're going to build this data center right on top of this." <laughs> and uh, I went to work for one of the larger law firms in in the country. I got hired. They had a big IBM mainframe. We had seven PCs. I was the PC coordinator, no network. You know, we eventually put in, um, you know, our first Novell network. That was mm-hmm. their token ring. And when Westlaw, which is now Thompson, started up, they came to the law firm and said, hey, listen, guys, you know, we're going to give you 100 PCs that it's just based on usage. And you go back then, you know, each one of those PCs with modems, you know, with like no memory and, yes, a hard drive, it was probably like six grand a piece. 
So we went from seven PCs to 100. And then by the end of year two, they found that it was so, so progressive for them. We had 650 PCs. So they would fly me all over the country at a drop of a dime notice, you know, that we have a litigation, you know, and what's happening is I worked in one battery plaza right across from right you viewed the Statue of Liberty. And when they had a case, you know, we didn't have phones, we didn't have cell phones, we didn't have anything like, hey, Mike, we need you to go to San Francisco. It's this case. We had our own travel agency that was in the, they'd hand me tickets. If I went to JFK, I'd actually take a helicopter over to JFK. If I went to LaGuardia, they had wow. a speedboat comp, come. And, you know, I'd go there with nothing. You know, whatever's in my pocket, I'd leave. I'd order equipment. When I got there, they'd have the Brooks Brothers guy call you, measure you for suits, ship your clothes. You know, and I have to tell my wife, you know, hey, I'm in San Francisco. It wasn't like I can get in touch with her during the day lots of times. And I was traveling all over the all over the country like this. You know, they'd wake you up in the middle of the night. You'd leave from the office, do all this stuff. And all we would do is that we'd have dial-up service to our mainframe. And, you know, networking started for me. You know, over time, I found a small VAR, you know, uh, that I hooked up with in Jericho, Long Island. We were three of us, you know, doing Novell Networks. And we partnered up with a company called NetFrame, one of the first supercomputers that were out there. And we went from selling to mom and pops to, you know, General Instrument, you know, uh, you know, General Dynamics, a lot of big law firms, and it really escalated our business. So over that period of time, I think I was with them for close to 20 plus years. You know, we went from three people to over 65 in, you know, four different cities. And it was just really kind of cool. So you came, you know, you, you had this programming, like, prank, essentially, in high school, which exposed you to this new up-and-coming <laughs> technology and essentially rode that wave all through the New York City financial economic boom in the 80s and uh, learned all these new things. And then you come out of it 10 years later and, and you're working with this VAR and all of a sudden you're flying around, speedboats, helicopters, all yeah. that. Yeah, you know, you kind of right place, right time. And, you know, listen, you know, in the early days, there weren't real certifications. You really, you know flew, you know, flew by the seam of your pants and some of the pieces. And, you know, in the early Novell days, you know, we realized, you know, what networking could do. And, you know, people were still, remember, you know, they were spending millions on mainframes, but then they went to smaller computers, AS400s. You know, the Novell partner program was probably like the first partner program I got involved in. Wow. And, you know, interesting when I was on Long Island that we found out in the early Novell days is that when you sold into the education market, Novell would give you a great discount, but by their contract, you had to go back to those universities and give them back a portion of that purchase in time and materials. So, mm. you know, we went to all these universities on Long Island and we're like, hey guys, is your current provider doing this? And we became this platinum Novell reseller on Long Island. And, you know, wow. just because they didn't tell them this, and listen, you give them a piece back and then there's tons of projects. And, you know, it really started understanding the vendor relationship that you'd have there. And, you know, as we worked our way up into Novell, it was just, you know, it was just amazing for us to find that. And, you know, my heyday when I was on Long Island, I went to the State University of New York at Stony Brook. When I went back to Stony Brook and they signed with me, you know, my first college experience was everyone probably has one of these. They called it Lecture Hall 101. You know, I went from classrooms in the city that had maybe 30, 40 people to like 600 people. So my first back give back experience, I go to I, Stony Brook has this. They wanted me to come in and do some Novell training for them. And I'm like, listen, 
I'll only do this if you do the lecture hall 101. And the guy says to me, well, listen, there's only like 30 of us. I'm like, dude, this scarred me for life. And I brought my wife because we met in college. And here I am on the lecture hall, you know, talking about Nobel. So, you know, some things come back around on there. But, you know, I think, you know, I grew up in that piece, you know, going through that Nobel transition to, you know, when Microsoft came out, you know, all the flavors of Windows you know, so you look back on your experiences and in my law firm days, we would write all kinds of crazy code. You know, the law firm would have a client come in and we would just write code. We use DBase, we use Clipper, we would do all these things and we kind of dreamed it up, but then we kind of grew into it. We realized that law firms needed document management. So when I started mm -hmm. with this VAR, the company was called Lan Associates out on Long Island, we realized that, hey, you know, we could have this vertical in the legal industry just because there was a shortage. You know, we worked with, you know, Novell then came out with Groupwise and Soft Solutions for us oldies. It was document management. And, you know, we worked our way through this and we really had a strong vertical over time in the legal industry. And that's kept me through all of my years on there. You know, fast forward, you know, we did this big trade show in New York City, a big law firm trade show. We decided to make our booth look like a law firm office. These net frames were big, black, kind of cool boxes. The San Francisco firm painted the box to make it look walnutty, you know, uh, and that. Mm -hmm. We brought in desks, but, you know, we go into the New York Hilton for the show, and we didn't realize after we did all this stuff, we had everything shipped there. Oh, my God, they charge you tonnage or freightage to get all the stuff. So our booth cost us, like, zillions of dollars. We couldn't believe it. We didn't understand that. <laughs> But out of that, we picked up some really big law firms. We picked up a law firm in South Florida. And for probably five years, they would fly me down. They would pay full travel and expense. I lived in Queens. And, you know, we started finding more law firms in Florida. And over time, it was hard remotely managing these offices. So I decided to pick up my family in 96 and, you know, just come down here. And, you know, transplanted my wife who was pregnant with two young kids and you know, moved down to South Florida. And I realized that the market was much different than the New York market. And, you know, what I also found is that, you know, what works, and I'm sure, Jimmy, you find the same thing in traveling. You know, what works in one city doesn't mm -hmm. necessarily work in other cities. So what we used to do in New York City didn't really work in Washington, D.C., or it didn't work that great in Raleigh. And, you know, we had to adapt. And, you know, when I came down to Miami, you know, it's a different culture and it took me a while to adapt and go out there and I, you know, pick up all of these things and realize that you got to be flexible. I remember our first event in Raleigh, you know, we'd go out there, we'd rent out a steakhouse, we'd bring a bunch of people into a bunch of people in. And I remember flying in and I'm in my, you know, blue two-piece suit, all ready to present, you know, the locals come in, we're talking to this. And I remember the guy, you know, stopping me like five minutes into it and he goes, you haven't been to Raleigh before, you know, I need you to take that tie off, take off that jacket. And next time when you're bringing giveaways here, you know, make sure they're hats and we don't want these fancy kind of pens. And, you know, these things stick in your head to realize, to understand, you know, where you're presenting, what your audience is. And, you know, it stuck with me all along. About 13 years ago, I had separated from my company, you know, it just happens. And I, kept the Florida portion of the business. And I decided that, you know, all the things that I learned from being somewhat a partner or an employee, when I went to do my own company, I wanted to have my staff feel like that we're mm -hmm. part of the team, you know, that, yeah, you know, I might not be the four in the morning kind of engineer anymore, but, you know, I'm there to bring in food. I wanted to make sure that, you know, they understood that everyone cared. I wanted a specific set of clients 
are out there. We kept that legal vertical and, you know, wanted to treat the employees like they needed to be treated. What what was it like in South Florida at that time? Because if my math is correct, that's about 2009, the peak of South Florida real estate, the bottom, right? When it all came crashing down, it seemed like everyone in that area had, you know, triple mortgages on their house and extra properties and the, the you know, properties are ballooning in price. Did that affect you or did that, that like change the way you did business? It didn't, it didn't, because I think that, you know, when you get 2009, you know, listen, internet was reliable. Mm-hmm. It was the source of things. So we really found that people understood that if they had better tech, they can bring down their bottom line. Mm-hmm. And then having, you know, the legal practice is somewhat recession proof. You know, that's what they always kind of sit there and say, because it's, it, there's always something going on. And over time, I realized that, you know, listen, if I could save a guy 10 seconds an hour, think about all the billable times. So we found that, you know, advent of internet, being able to have remote access, reliable internet, really business was booming, you know, on that. I also realized that you go 2009, you know, social media started picking up. And I also mm-hmm. realized that a lot of my clients that I've been servicing for 12, 13 years in the South Florida area, well, listen, they were getting a little older in age. And I said, you know what? I'll learn a little. I brought my, um, who's now 35, brought one of my sons on board and uh, helped me with some of the work that I was doing, some of the back-end work. But I realized, let me pick his friend's brains, him in the, at that time, and realize that you know the world's kind of changing and our traditional marketing has to change, our messaging has to change. And our buyer might not be you know a good old boy anymore that knew me for all that time and I had to change. So we really adapted well to social media, a different marketing piece, you know, and a marketing message of what we're going out there for. And again, kind of learning from adapting from change and it worked well for us. And then we kind of expanded. One of the other the other verticals that we got into was a not-for-profits because A, mm-hmm. we did want to do some community help, but I realized that, you know, every holiday time, my law firms would want me to help to contribute to their favorite not-for-profits. And then I did a little more research and I'm like, wow, you know, a lot of these guys are on those same board of directors of these not-for-profits. So we took the back around of saying, you know what? Let's come up with a not-for-profit program and, you know, start targeting those. And it really paid off trying to understand the market that we were in, you know, and when I started even in 96, 97 in South Florida, you know, the market was totally different. The culture, you know, I had a bunch of Cuban employees that I've never interacted with before, realized how important family was, spending family time you know, learned what December were you, were you 24th the first is. New Yorker? <laughs> I you know, know it's what? like all New Yorkers now. Are you the first one? <laughs> I wasn't the first one, but, you know, it was just understanding a new culture. You know, yeah. I remember the first time my employee who I realized that family, not that no one takes it for granted, but I remember one day, so I'm a Christmas Day baby. So, mm-hmm. um, wow. The employee invites me out and he goes, hey, listen, do you ever go to a pig roast? I'm like, pig roast? No, no. He goes, listen, you come to my house. You know, December 24th at like 6.30 in the morning. I go, 6.30 in the morning? He goes, just do it. I go, you know, boom, you know, we're digging the pit. We're putting it in there, you know, and I'm like, well, we get everything set. I'm like, how long? He goes, this pig roast like 12 hours. I go, oh, do we leave it and come back? He goes, no, you get a drink, smoke cigars all day, we're going to play dominoes, you know? And then I realized how important it was when this thing cooks, you know, the whole community comes out. So, you know, each year it was one of those kind of things. And again, learning the community, what was important to them and what was important to me and, you know, learning those values and, and pass that back to your employees. 
understand, you know, back then, you know, didn't have a cell phone picture. We all posed for pictures. You know, the first night I come home, my wife's like, where have you been all day? I think I must have smoked six large Cuban cigars, drank Cuban <laughs> rum all day. You know, I almost had to throw my clothes out. <laughs> so I think that, you know, it's adapting to change, learning your environments, you know, and I really wanted to make sure that, you know, we treated the clients right and we wanted to be treated right. I think all of us in the industry go out there and, you know, sometimes, you know, I don't think that we're as appreciative as, as we should be. So, so I, I, one thing I want to go back to, you know, you talked about that Novell Networks uh, partner program and how they had those professional services tacked in and it was like a way to get in the door. I see that and, and maybe I'm wrong here, but as sort of the, beginning of that professional services, that break fix, eventually turning to MSP services. Is that, would that be? It was. And I think one of the things that people don't realize is spending time with, you know, good vendors, good partners, Mm -hmm. Jimmy, you know, that's why I'm always at those shows going out there. That was the turning point because here we were this little Long Island company and in a year and a half, we're like Novell Platinum. They're flying us out to Provo. You know, we get to meet Ray Norder. One of the early programs to maintain your Platinum, part of your sales team and your tech team had to, on Novell's dime, come out to Provo, spend a week with them, but work the actual tech support lines so that wow. you understand from the vendor perspective what's going on so that you're, you know, you're not dialing 1-800. You know, we didn't have, you know, internet, Google, the search, but it really taught you the basics of, you know, oh, I get it. You want to make sure that I can handle support because I'm really wearing, you know, Novell on my storefront or on my shirt. And that really made me understand that, you know, for the handful of vendors that you want to work with, it's best to be the best that you can be and always ask, you know, like do anything. What could I do for you besides what you could all do for me? And I think it's important that people lose that fact, you know, like at all the shows we've seen you at, right? You know, and I've been at it's important to be able to go out there and then, you know, don't devalue. I'm a very friendly MSP to other MSPs. I think it's important because, I, you know, we're in this ever-changing market that we, community is probably more important, you know, for all of us to go out there to learn from each other and, you know, learn new products. And, you know, I was super excited to be on this because, Jimmy, I've said it a zillion times, you know, you were one of those products that we ran across that we didn't know we needed. And, you know, we're like, wow, you know, you solve a piece and, you know, and again, we want to be the best that we can be. And we do that with most of our vendors. Wow. Yeah. Appreciate you saying that. And it's really cool to see how much of a focus you've put on your customers, understanding, you know, you talk so much about understanding the local culture that you're in, you know, participating in the things that they care about, getting involved with with the nonprofits, and then you're partnerships with your vendors, every all the way back from Novell Networks to, you know, the MSP stack that you have today. I'd like to dig in a little bit more about building your business with your employees. You know, it seems like you've been through the different business model changes. So maybe touch on how that has affected things as well. But like what, maybe let's start, like, how do you manage people? What do you look for in people? What did you learn over the first couple of years of your business? So in between one of my jobs, and this cycles back to the same thing. I remember a recruiter brings me out and he gets me an interview with uh, like a contract interview with Con Edison way back in the day. And I'm like, well, listen, I don't know a lot of this stuff. He goes, don't worry about it. I'm going to talk to you as we'll walk into the interview. And I remember being in front of this guy and the, the guy at Con Ed knew I didn't know what the hell I was talking about. And I knew he knew it. And after a while, you know, it was a 10 minute interview. I walked out. I was never so embarrassed in my life. Never went back to the recruiting because I felt like crap. 
I let someone else talk me into it. I was definitely underqualified and I couldn't answer the questions. So again, you know, I think we all look back on these things. I want employees to be truthful that's out there. We always have this written exam and list some of the stuff, it's long. There's times where people go out there like, hey, can I have the key to the bathroom? Never come back. It's the kind of thing where I want to know what you know, and I actually want to know what you don't know. And I think that's what we kind of look for. So, you know, want to give people a chance. So we have, you know, a big intern program that's out there. We'll hire, we'll go out there, we'll get, give them a chance to, you know, try and buy or I guess date, Mm -hmm. you know, for a little and go out there and let them know what we're about. But, you know, we need real work. I had a company meeting at 7.30 this morning. It was the first time we did it in a couple months. I have people that work for me in Jamaica. I have a, another guy in India. My two boys work for me. So I always start off thanking them. I want them to understand this. We go through and, you know, what we can do. I always do talk about what we're doing for the community so that they kind of appreciate it. Because, listen, we all have a choice of where we want to work. And I do use use the line kind of corny all the time because my kids work for me. We really are like a family because mm. if sales isn't selling, engineering just can't go out. And if engineering's not doing a good job, then sales can't sell. So, I mean, you know, if we're not all working together, and then one of the things that I do explain to them is, you know, our ticketing, why I bust their balls about having their tickets in on time, proper, you know, you put the wrong contract, someone gets misbilled, but I want it's not all about putting money in my pocket. You know, when I show them examples here, you click the ticket wrong, we didn't catch it. Some guy had auto pay on. Now I got to figure out how to give him $210 back. He's all pissed of that. You know, I want him to understand that, you know, the lights cost something, the coffee and donuts cost something. You know, it's not all about just putting money in the owner's pockets, you know, because they see me come go to events. They're like, hey, you know, Mike's in Vegas, Mike's wherever, you know, we're a big sponsor of the Florida Panthers hockey club with the Cronus now. I want them to understand that I'm just not counting the money every day and that, you know, the only thing that you could leave out there with these clients is that you could put the best job that you did. And, you know, you can't BS them. So customer service is really one of the things that we talk about. And I use the example, you know, God forbid you're, you know, you're sick, you're on an operating table and the doctor says, oh, excuse me, I just got to Google this for a second. You know, <laughs> I, I use that kind of as an example. Like, if you don't know, tell them you're going to, all right, let me research it. You know, you can't put in the ticket I researched and I Googled, or you can't be on site being caught Googling something that's in place. If you don't know, that's why we have our knowledge base or a higher level engineer. So I kind of equate a lot of that stuff so that they have real life things. And, you know, one of my biggest pet peeves is being late. Mm. I sit there and I'm like, guys, listen, in today's day and age, I get it. There's traffic, there's mass transit delays, but you can't call the client 15 minutes after you were supposed to be there. You know, you got to go out there or let us know. So, you know, it's service. I think that's what separates a lot of us because we all have a different stack. We all have different way of doing things. And, you know, you could equate to food. You know, you're taking your significant other, your partner out for, you know, an anniversary type dinner. You're walking into a high-end steakhouse. You know, if the waiter shows up in flip-flops and shorts, you know, in the high-end steakhouse or your steak's not perfect, you know, most of the time in one of those upper scale places, they'll make it right. That's how the service I want. You know, you want to treat them like they treat because we are definitely not, you know, the least expensive on the block. And we're, you know, we're probably close to the most expensive, I hate to say it, on that end of it. But we do service. We maintain that. So I think it's important that the employees understand that these are the things. And if we could relate those to real things that are out there, like you going out to dinner, you getting, 
you know, an AT&T bill that's three months old. Oh, sorry, we forgot to bill you, you know, or they misbilled you. So I think it's important that they understand those little pieces that are out there. Yeah, I'm, I'm hearing the same themes throughout your entire story here. Persistence, consistency, and really the main one being you actually care. Like, like yep. in everything you've done throughout your career, I can tell that you've actually cared. You wanted to do a good job. You wanted to do right by the client. You wanted to do right by the employee. You want to know. And I guess combined with that caring is a, is a certain curiosity that's driven you. And it is. And it is. And, you know, I kind of say, hey, listen, I'm turning 61 this year. I say to these guys, listen, I graduated college a long time ago, but every year I'm still re-educating myself. You know, we're blessed to be in this kind of industry where, you know, technology, you know, five minutes later is outdated, right? We always, and on the engineering side, we always have to be the best that we can be. And you always have to have this knowledge to learn and change and understand things. And that's why I love this industry. And I try to give that passion to them. You know, you might hate this one client to go out there, you know, you know, maybe you're not a help desk person. You know, we kind of break our guys into kind of like three tiers. We have the project guys. We have a group of people that just love their help desk. You know, it's like their man cave mm-hmm. out there. And then we have these guys that just kind of call them switch hitters. These are the guys that will do some help desk, but they don't mind doing 10 service calls out on the road because we still do physically roll out trucks for projects and different things. And their goal is to kind of be at the project team so that they could be in that office and everyone comes and asks them the questions and go out there. So I kind of have, you know, that tier of people and I try to understand that. And, you know, listen, the help desk guys, they just love being on the phone. They're on that headset that's out there. You know, I try to make them feel at home. So I think it's important, you know, that they kind of see the pieces that are out there, but everyone in that piece needs a minimum level of certification. You know, our vendors require us to have tech pieces, on our sales meeting this morning, uh, sorry, on our company meeting, I'm like, guys, I know that you guys have some of these things. And sometimes I put bonuses out there based upon these certifications, because listen, whether it's Microsoft or you know one of the other companies, I need to keep those levels of certifications and we give them an education plan. But the sales guys have to do the same thing. You know, we just went through a whole bunch of things and, you know, the sales team, I'm like, guys, show them you went through these things. You're proud of it. How many hours did it take you? So we're all a well-oiled team that the left has to know what the right's doing and the right has to know what the left's doing. And we all have the same kind of work ethic. Yeah, I, I, I'm getting some, uh, like you're the a Ritz-Carlton style MSP. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? We try, right? You know, you want that service experience because, you know, in today's space, and you probably, you know, you talk to more MSPs than I do at that point, that we all have a different recipe of things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're a couple dollars off, you know, listen, I always tell the client, listen, if someone's that much less, I can't tell you not to go with them. But, you know, if you come back to me, it's going to be more money. So, yeah, we all have our way of handling things. And, I'm, you know, I can only say it. And we're only as good as the people that service. Are we going to be perfect every time? No way. There's going to be times where, you know, someone screws up and you got my cell phone, you know, complain. It's harder. Like we sit there. It's more expensive for me to acquire new clients than to go out there and satisfy the old clients that are in place. So I kind of say, you're going to change for something like that. So I think it's important that we have open communication and that, yes, what's different about us? We provide really good service. Here's that. And plus, we're a staple in the community. You know, we're involved in various organizations and it only takes, you know, one bad tweet. (laughs) Yeah. Michael, so 
say there's an MSP listening right now or someone who is thinking about starting one, you know, they've had a similar experience maybe coming up, learning the different technologies, has that technical background and, you know, similar work drive, you know, ship me out, you know, send me on a helicopter to JFK, I'll go to San Francisco <laughs> right now, whatever it is, and have experienced that or know that service, like I'm going to deliver for the client, I'm going to give them the best experience possible. What advice would you have to that person or maybe even yourself, like, uh, you know, a couple of years ago before, you know, MSP that you're running today became as consistent as it is? So you got to surround yourself with good people and you got to trust those people. That's the key. You know, when I left my last company to kind of start Land Infotech, there was that dissension of there that the top didn't understand what the bottom was doing. And you got to trust what people are telling you. So I think you got to surround yourself and you got to come up with your flavor of things. You know, mm. listen, it's pretty easy to come up with a stack. You know, you just go to one of the hundred shows that you're at or I'm at. <laughs> and, you know, there's a line of vendors that you could pick up and you have to understand it. But I'm really big in verticals. I think it's I learned the legal industry. I've been in the legal industry for 35 plus years. And, you know, I think one year I went to a, a CompTIA event and they're like, hey, how to break into the legal industry. So I figured, let me sit in there. And I'm like, ah, you know, what? I got to go up to the guy and kind of tell him, you know, listen, I appreciate you, but I've been doing this a long time. And he's like, hey, can you do the next session with me? And I said to him, ah, you know what? Keep doing what you're doing. And he goes, what do you mean? I go, then it's more business for me. That's what I joke <laughs> with him. But I could give him some pointers. So I think if you could verticalize and become the expert, if you're not verticalized, you know, look to become the speaker, the expert. You know, we spend a lot of time and investment in our local chambers of commerce, or it could be any other organization. But like I try to strive to be the best that I could be with my vendors, it's the same thing there. You know, when you're that guy giving the speech to go out there versus, you know, sitting in there taking notes. So if you're not the expert in your in your vertical or not a vertical person, you know, become that expert in the community. You know, make sure that they know who your name is. I think it's important to go out there because there's so many of us. You know, I go to these shows and I run into guys all over the place. And, you know, I look at New York City all the time because I got a lot of friends up there. You know, every couple of corners, I won't even say corners, every quarter of a block is probably another MSP. And I always talk about, you know, how do you compete? And I think you have to have your, your secret sauce. And your secret sauce doesn't have to be a technical snack. That's great. I love that advice. Anything else you'd like to add before we wrap up here? I mean, this has been an awesome, awesome interview. Yeah, you know, and I do leave out and I'll just say, network with your peers. You know, there's mm. so many organizations that, you know, you and I have both been at to go out there that aren't just, you know, go to the Microsoft show, go to the Palo Alto show. You know, there are a lot of peer groups. And I said, don't underestimate the value of a peer group, you know, because I always say, you know, I want to know what the other guys are doing. Not that I'm investing because maybe I got it wrong. Maybe I missed the wave on some things that are out there. So I think don't underestimate the value of peer organizations. Amazing. I love that. It's, uh, yeah, I've met you at uh, <laughs> peer type oh. events. So it uh, definitely works. And you'll, you'll run to people like Michael if you get involved. Yep. But yeah, I want to thank you again for doing this. This has been an awesome interview. And uh, I guess people should look out for you. Definitely. See you at the events. Definitely. And I appreciate you putting this out there for all of us to go out there. And, you know, those guys listening, you know, you got to got to jump on the quick pass bandwagon, man. <laughs> you know, a lot, a lot of good things out there. At least stop by and see Jimmy get a cigar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, thank you. 